Hello, I'm Andrew Doyle and welcome to Headliners. Joining me tonight to look through tomorrow's stories, we have two comedians, Leo Kurse and Nick Dixon. We're going to be taking a look first at tomorrow's front pages. Uh, and as you can imagine, uh, they're all going with the same story. We start with The Telegraph here, which runs with Nations turn to say farewell as the Queen now lies in state. And there's the image there in Westminster Hall. We move on to The Guardian, which goes with People disappeared. Uh, I Zoom recalls horror of occupation. And of course, amid the pageantry, the Queen takes place in history. Financial Times next, and they run with Kwarteng, set to end cap on banker's bonus. And Royal Family escorts Queen in procession to Westminster Hall. The Mirror uh, has pride and the pain. Family mourn amid scenes of pageantry as Queen's lying in state begins. The Times, this is a, uh, a wraparound front cover that goes to the front and the back, and they have grief is the price we pay for love, her crown and glory. And then the Daily Express, your nation stands with you, mum. And finally, we have the Metro, which leads with our jewel, her crown. And those were your front pages. So we're going to kick off with a story uh, from the front page of The Telegraph. And this is, of course, what most of the papers are covering tomorrow, uh, principally, which is Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II lying in state. Leo, I believe it's for five days. Is that right? Five days. Uh, they're talking about possibly extending it because so many people from all around the country and all around the world want to uh, come and pay their respects. There's, there's going to be huge uh, queues. Um, pe well, people are already queuing up to, yep. to you know, file past and, and see and pay respects. Yes. Nick, will you be making a visit, do you think, down to Westminster Hall? I'm not going to. I must say, I'm impressed that people come out all day and it just shows how much people love the Queen. I love the Queen, but I just couldn't go out into the crowds and stand there all day. It's just not my thing. Yeah. But I'm amazed how many people are. Well, it's nice weather today. Well, the weather helps. But I think isn't a lot of this about, you know, we've seen the reaction across the country. Various people have reacted in different ways, but there's an overall sense of sort of grief, isn't there? A lot of people agree, even though they didn't know her, they loved what she represented and, you know, this is a kind of way for them to bring that to a close and to sort of, you know, to, to address you know, however they're feeling about it. I think it's hit people who didn't even uh, realise it. I, I know people like Darius, Darius Davies, comedian, who's never, never been a royalist, uh, but he's genuinely gutted about the Queen because, you know, she represents that continuity. She's a, she's a real link to the past. She's, you know, served for... Uh, 70 years, yep. and uh, you know, so she she's the link to to our wartime generation, our our best generation. So I think that's very interesting, isn't it? That that she, because she has obviously been around for 15 prime ministers. Yeah, you know, she's been here from from the time of Churchill through yeah. the war. It is that Seven sense French of freezers. Yeah, exactly. There is that sense of continuity. Yeah, and that's also I think what people are grieving, isn't it? The, the recognition that life moves on, that we have to move to a different era. Uh, yeah. I, that's part of it, surely, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I said the other night on here, she, she's been there for my entire life and almost my parents' entire lifespan as yes. well, since she came in in 1952. But also, on the, a note on the tradition of it, I, I saw a tweet say, saying, oh, this is over the top, you know, criticizing mm. all the tradition. I like the tra tradition, I like that we keep that going. Well, what are we gonna do, do it on Zoom? You know what I mean? It's like, this, yeah. the tradition's actually important and is a key part of it, so there are people being grumpy about it. I, I disagree completely. Okay, mm. so we move on now. Thursday's Daily Mail, they have, uh, the royal family all accompanied the Queen as she left Buckingham Palace for the final time today. Yeah, they've said royals solemn march. Uh, King Charles, Prince Andrew, Princess Anne and William and Harry lead historic 
2.22 p.m. procession as Queen Elizabeth II is taken on her last journey from mm. Buckingham Palace. And it's all about this 2.22 and the significance of that. And there's been various speculation about why that is. Uh, and people, people have said various reasons. But actually, it seems to be to do with the, uh, the time. It's to do with arriving at 3 p.m. at the correct time. Yes. And people say, well, it's just simply about that. But it is a bit more complicated than that because I saw a thing that said it's to do with um, 75 drum beats in the past they would really? measure it by drum yeah it's not in this piece i found that elsewhere it's measured by the the number of drum beats it would take between so this is this is interesting I, I mean this article here that we've got regarding this 222 time there's all sorts of theories that they're suggesting yeah. there are things such as um it has a significance because when her father uh, king george the sixth died after his death the bells tolled 56 times at windsor one for each year year of his life and ended at 222 mm. but then there's some some odd ones here that it might have a christian numerological significance and that 222 has a, a represents unity and love in the bible and people, oh, go on sorry Liam. well people love seeing you know patterns or seeing some hidden meaning in in times and dates and yeah. all the rest of it you've seen it with you know letters of the the alphabet um, and, you know, all the, all the sort of Da Vinci Code type, yes, type yeah. things. But isn't it just that basically they have to get to Westminster Hall by three o'clock? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't think there's any signal, to, no. you know, or any hidden message. Okay, well, time. no, I, do, I, I, I doubt that as well. Let's move on to the Daily Star. Uh, Thursday's Daily Star has the, uh, the royal brothers being reunited in grief. How convincing is that, Leo? Yeah, well, Princess Anne's son, Peter Phillips, who actually walked between Prince William and Prince Harry uh, at Prince Philip's funeral in Windsor in April 2021 uh, as a sort of buffer between the two princes, because obviously Prince Harry and Prince William are, are feuding or have been feuding for the past uh, past few years. Mm. Um, but, uh, but they've sort of put that to, to one side um, and they, they won't need uh, this guy, Peter Phillips, who apparently is, is one of the one of the favourites. Yes. Um, the, who's, and who's a cousin? They, they won't need him to, to keep them apart. I think they both yep. obviously they both realise the, the gravity of the situation. Yes. So they're treating it with the appropriate decorum and you know not continuing their feud at yes. the Queen's funeral. Absolutely. But they had Peter Phillips as a buffer. They were Pre saying here previously. Pre previously, and now yeah. they're, they're, but do, have they really reconciled? I mean, how can we possibly know? Well, I think they'll, know, they'll put it to one side. For this, yes. you know, this is obviously, you know, um, probably the most momentous occasion. Um, of course. Yeah. So they're they're not gonna they're not gonna um, you know have relatively petty feuds. So what do we think about this, Nick? I mean, do, you know, should they uh, be reconciled? Uh, you know, I mean, a lot of people are suggesting that this is this is what inevitably they must do at this time. But the rift is there for a reason. Of course it is, and I hope they can reconcile, though I'm sceptical, especially as Harry's book seems to apparently still be coming out, which we might talk about later. Yes. He's delayed it, but he hasn't cancelled it. So, And I saw a video today on Twitter, I'm not sure when the video is from, but Owen Jones had liked it, which is always a warning sign. Yeah, it's always a bad and, sign. And in it, Harry was talking about how you know, he was in a bubble in the royal family, and you think, well, of, of course it's a bubble. Yeah. And then he was talking about, <laughs> again, which he's talked about many times, uh, you know, Meghan's alleged sort of suicidal feelings, and, and he's, again, and he's attacking the royal family. So it's it's hard to see how you do recover from that. The one part I did sympathise with was the media harassment. Of course, yeah. that's obviously going to be very unpleasant. It's bad enough, you know, I've had friends who are being attacked by the tabloids. Imagine when you're at, at that level. So I do have some sympathy for that. But ultimately, William, very broadly, William represents 
the duty and tradition path. Yes. And Harry, of course, represents the other path that you can go down. And obviously it's not perfect because William perhaps is a bit modernising, maybe even a bit woke himself. But broadly, that is... That not to the same extent. Not to and, the same extent. So that's why that is broadly the, the, the disparity. Well, also there's this feeling, isn't there, that Harry caused a lot of grief for his grandmother yeah. in those final years, and I don't think we can get away from that. Yeah, and I think out of all the members of the royal family, definitely the, the one that caused her the most grief. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, I can't think of anybody else. So, yeah, I, th I think, uh, I think it's, it's nice to see them put their, put their feud to one side. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, we know, we know it's still there. We know it's, it's going to come back. I mean, apart from anything else, it's how they make their money. They, Harry and Meghan now yeah. make their money through biographies, interviews with Oprah, where they uh, wash their dirty laundry in the open and, uh, and badmouth the royal family. Yeah, well, I think we're going to be coming back to that in a later story. Uh, but we're going to move on to Thursday's Independent now. And these are the much-anticipated cues, Leo. Yeah, so apparently the cues for the Queen's lying in state for anybody who, who wants to visit, and there's a, a lot of people who've come uh, from, from all around the world, they're, they're flying in. Uh, the queues could stretch to 10 miles. So the route for members of the public waiting to pay their respects to Her Majesty during the four days her coffin will rest in Westminster Hall stretches uh, nearly seven miles over the Thames and along the South Bank to Southwark Park. But they've got uh, zigzagging channels to, to fit more people in. Yeah. Uh, so it increases the, the maximum length to, to 10 miles. And the Department for Culture is now consulted with behavioural scientists to try and judge how tightly packed and slow moving uh, the queues are likely to be in order to make preparations for, for how to deal which is ov what's obviously going to be a huge yeah, logistical uh, operation uh, I mean I, I wish they would put this amount of effort into other areas of, of government but uh, but yeah this is this is what they're, so, they're doing and Nick isn't this a, a logistical nightmare just in terms of uh, security I mean there've been lots of talk about how you know Republicans are going to want to if, this, if they're going to create a problem or cause any harm, this is how they'll do it. So there's, there's going to be a lot of security issues here. Yeah, and what I listened to a report that even said that people who are sort of obsessed with the royal family are also a problem because they, yeah. they like them too much. But yeah, we, we covered the other day, they're going to have the SAS out, rooftop snipers. So yeah, a massive security operation. Also, it just strikes me that a thousand marshals, stewards and volunteers, it, it, and it's just incredible, like 779 professional stewards, it, you sort of realise the amount of people uh, you know, mm. around this one person, the Queen, which of course Republicans would, would have a big problem with, yes. but I like, because it's, it's the old hierarchies. Well, and also, they wouldn't no, have fewer people around the President. Good point, good yeah. point. Yeah. And, um, and, and I also note they're going to have 500 portable toilets. Is that right? Mm -hmm. So they've thought of everything. They've thought of everything. Well, they have to, don't they? Yeah. yeah. It's such a huge event. Yeah. I'm going to move on now to Thursday's Guardian. They've got a story here about Keir Starmer uh, reminding of us of the, uh, that this is a period of mourning, but this is perhaps an odd uh, sentiment to come from Keir Starmer. Yeah, this is very interesting. It's, it's Keir Starmer, protesters should respect those mourning queen. And Starmer does say the right thing. He's very sort of proper, isn't he? The other day he tweeted, God save the king, but I couldn't help but note, if he was to win the general election, he would be our first openly atheist prime minister. Interesting. Another new sort of symbolic low for the country. But, but um, he, he has come out and said that protesters should be respectful. So it, it, much like his sort of stance on women and things, it's a kind of delicate dance for him because he's saying, I think if people have spent a long time waiting to come forward to have a moment as the coffin goes past, I think respect that. Now, the question is, how do you respect while protesting? So it's, 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 a bit of, it's an oxymoron on the face of it. But he is a fence-sitter. Yeah. I mean, that's what he's known he has for, to be, isn't it? Because of the nature of uh, the, you know, balancing the left of his party versus trying to win actual elections. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> and, and I also know on the, on the topic here of protests that um, we were criticised on Twitter by Ash Sarkar, who said, 
oh, I can't wait for the GB news people to condemn this, the arrest, meaning the arrest of the woman who said abolish monarchy with her sign. Mm, yeah. And of course, we immediately all did defend it because there's not many people you'd find who are, would think that person should actually be arrested. It's a, it's a, it's a strange one, that, isn't it? Because, you know, uh, all the free speech advocates that I know will say that the police shouldn't be arresting people for holding signs up, however distasteful people might find yeah. it. But this assumption by activists, left-wing activists, that free speech advocates oh, they actually don't care about free speech when it comes to the monarchy, is actually not true. Yeah, it's except I, I do think that these, I mean, I believe in free speech, apart from when it's something that I don't agree with. Is that right? Or something yeah. that's going to annoy someone. So, <laughs> uh, no, I think, I think it shows that left-wing activists, they're, they're fighting against an imagined version of yeah. the right. They've got these imaginary boogeymen that they're, they're criticising and, and fighting against. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Although but, I've decided to actually be pro-strict treason laws now, just to provide balance, because, yeah. you know, yeah. But, but yeah, obviously... Ridiculous. Well, I mean, so this is the this is the question when it comes to these sorts of. I mean, it's interesting that Keir Starmer has intervened and said, you know, called for respect. Not that anyone's going to listen to him particularly, uh, but obviously, die-hard Republicans at this time are going to want to make a statement. That's something that's going to happen. And as long as they do it peacefully, then that's yeah. uh, you know that that's what living in a free society is all about, surely. But yeah, I mean, I, I do think on the one hand, you know, Republicans can make their case, but I haven't heard from Republicans at no. the time. Leader, why why have they picked? This this moment, the moment of her of her death, to right, uh, exactly. I mean, like, fair enough, I have a protest, but it's it's like when you see Westboro Baptist Church, you know, with placards outside uh, the funeral of a of a, a military soldier or something, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, so, a soldier. It's 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 disgusting, it's distasteful, and it's just not the right time. You know, whatever you think of the the royal family or the system of monarchy, don't be screaming abuse at you know uh, at people who've, who've just lost a family member. Yeah, they don't come across well. Yeah, do they? Let's put it it that doesn't way. win me over, and I'm no, I'm the sort of course. person that you know would be. Surely a, a target market for being won over to any... So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, OK, so we'll move on now to an article in Thursday's Telegraph. Uh, and this is... Uh, now, this is interesting, Leo, because this is requests for an extended... Uh, Queen's journey for funeral procession. Well, how would that work? Uh, so they would uh, they would make the route longer uh, for our final uh, procession, um, and it's because so many people have come to to the capital to pay respect. So they they want to make sure that everybody can see her because they've they've done modelling and apparently uh, three hundred and fifty thousand mourners. Uh, could miss the could miss. But the surely, team. I mean, we were just talking about the security issue, and I know that they've been going through the sweeping the bushes and all, all these kinds of things for potential incendiary devices. It's already been a very difficult operation to extend yeah. it at this late notice. Does that not just invite problems? I mean, I, I wouldn't have thought it's you know a particular target for. I, I mean, I know in the past, you know, the IRA have targeted. Uh, royal uh, members of the royal family. Uh, I think the, the Queen's second cousin, uh, Lord Mountbatten, was, was killed by the IRA. But that's, yeah. that's settled now. I think so that was the INLA. Oh, right. But, but, right. but it, was, it was Irish, Irish Republicans. Republicans. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's interesting is the Princess Diana's funeral was almost the, the preparation for this, so they know this kind of thing can happen. It says yes. the route taken by Princess Diana at her, at, to, at the funeral in 1997 was lengthened at the last minute due to the outpouring of grief at her death. So that was actually changed at the last minute as well. Well, maybe it should, maybe it should be, actually, no, sorry, it wasn't the INLA, it was the IRA. INLA killed Airy Neve. Oh, right. But, you know, they're all much of a muchness, aren't they? Right. The, 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 the thing here, though, I, I just don't think it is practical at this point, but I do understand the sentiment. Yeah. The, the fact that more and more people want to be there. It's the same with her lying in state. Mm. I think people want to feel that they have got involved with this moment in history. Yeah. Because it is so obviously a kind of pivotal moment that 
we will never experience again. Yeah. And so it's not just about grief and about showing respect. I think it's also about feeling involved. Yeah. yeah. And history. And, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. This British, was the argument, British history. Sorry. This was the argument some people made to keep the football going, that that would have been a, a big moment for a lot of people who aren't actually going to go down to this. So I, I wasn't sure about that. But, uh, but I definitely think people want to have some sort of moment to mark it. Yeah. I, mean, well, I think, I think cancelling certain things, like the centre parks thing, sounded ridiculous. They were going to kick everybody out for a day. Yeah, when they were already there. I think they've pretty much backtracked on that quite quickly because that's silly. Yeah. (laughs) But there's also these debates going on about the pubs and whether the pubs should be closed on the day of the funeral. And, you know, there were arguments earlier on Dan's show about this. And, um, you know, actually, for some people, that's a really good way because it's not just just mourning, is it? It's also celebration. It's the week, yeah. We associate pubs with with funerals. Yeah. So what do you think about that, Nick? Do you think they should... Yeah. Close everything. I, well, I well I I spoke to Toby Young about this. But we were debating it because he I I felt that although it, look if cricket was going to go ahead and rugby, which was yeah. what, what happened, then obviously football should. But there is a case for cancelling them because people you have to you have to recognise the gravity of it in some ways. Mm. Then again, with pubs, I think it's another question mark. And we've had we might get onto it later. But the NHS suddenly cancelling appointments and stuff, and that's mm. where it gets mm. r- seemingly you know counterproductive. But it all comes back to this thing of people wanting to be involved. I mean, even at a football match, you could have the minute silence, and you yeah. could fe- you could feel Sing like the you're as well, right? Yeah. And you could feel like you're involved in something that relates to this. And I imagine, I suppose, that's why they want to extend this journey, but whether they can do that logistically, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Anyway, on to Thursday's Sun now, uh, and an update to the invitation list for the funeral. Nick? Yes, invite denied. Three more countries are banned from attending Her Majesty's State funeral on Monday. This is quite interesting because they've already banned, uh, what is it, Belarus and a couple of others, and and now they've they've added Syria, Venezuela and Afghanistan. Okay. Were, were they going to come? Yeah, I'm not sure if they were going to come, but they, they've been banned. Meanwhile, North Korea and Nicaragua join Iran in having been invited only at ambassadorial level. I think North Korea has been a little bit lucky there to even get in on the ambassadorial <laughs> How level. How have they just made these decisions about well, who gets to come and who, who... A friend of mine went to Afghanistan recently. He said it wasn't too bad. Mind you, all my friends are, of course, extreme reactionaries. But yeah. he said it was not so bad. But you, you have to wonder. So it's Russia, Belarus, Myanmar are already banned. Now they've added Syria, Venezuela, Afghanistan. Yeah, and it's difficult to know the criteria, although I should point out, that in Iran, they compared state-run TV compared the Queen to Adolf Hitler. So that's obviously disgusting, especially disgusting when her father f- stood against Hitler as king during the yeah. war. Particularly disgusting. So yes. they should they should be on the list. Well, but but they have been invited. Iran. No, have no. Well, ambassadorial. Yes, ambassadorial. Right. Right. No, they should right. get a so, full ban. They should get a full ban. Yeah, Argentina as well. Uh, I saw a video of them celebrating, and uh, so I mean, obviously there's some enmity between uh, Argentina and the UK because we beat them in a war. Well, there would be that. But I mean, it's not the, the decisions about who gets to be invited will not be based on how the nation's media are reacting or anything like that. Mm. This would have been made a long time ago, I would have presumed. Well, then, then in, why are they having to update it then? That's a very good point. Mm. Well, I haven't been let in on it, right. to be honest. Right. But you're right, Nick, you and I should be able to make these decisions, Yeah. to be honest. Anyway, Thursday's Daily Mail now. Uh, telling, us, telling us exactly where we can watch the state funeral on Monday, Leo. So, yeah, so if you can't make it to the procession in London, uh, more than 150 cinemas across the country will screen the Queen's funeral on Monday, with some also showing her procession to Westminster Hall uh, this afternoon. And uh, also, it's also going to be you know, widely shown on television, yes. I should imagine. Well, that, well, then why the need for the cinema? I guess it's the communal experience, like we are talking about before. It's, uh, it's nice that's why I think you should have the pubs. 
because the pubs can yeah, have the big yeah. screen, and, yeah. and that would make a lot more sense to me. No, it's a, it's a good point, but this is the kind of this is what the cinema was sort of originally intended as, wasn't it? It was a big public event, and it was a big event back in the day. So I, I do I do like this. It sort of harks back to the time when the cinema sort of meant something in that way. Mm. Although although certain snacks are banned, did you mention that popcorn and things like that? Well, that banned, would, that would assume so. That's part of the article, so I have to report it, Andrew. Thanks, because yeah. they're sort of more they're too celebratory. Yeah, and it would be obviously distasteful people making a lot of noise. Yeah. Also, popcorn's horrible. Anyway, Cinema popcorn is. Oh, it's absolutely dreadful. Anyway, on to Thursday's Metro. The Queen still breaking records, Nick. Yeah, the uh, flight carrying Queen Elizabeth's co coffin becomes the most tracked in history. This is a sort of meeting of, of ancient tradition and high-tech because the, the, the Royal Air Force flight that carried Queen Elizabeth II's coffin from Edinburgh to London became the most tracked in history, and it was over 5 million people uh, tracked the flight on, free, on flight Trader 24. Mm. And the previous record was apparently Nancy Pelosi's flight to Taiwan last month, where nearly 2.2 million tuned in. They probably tuned in because there was an element of danger. Uh, yeah, I would have rather, thought so. Rather, and to see what happened, rather mm. than this is pure respect. And it does show that the Queen is loved around the globe and that people are, are fascinated with this. There is something quite symbolically interesting, isn't there, Leo, about the fact that she died at Balmoral? Yeah. The fact that the profession then ends up going throughout the whole territory in one yeah. way or another. And particularly in Scotland, you know, where obviously uh, the call for an, um, a Scottish uh, second referendum would suggest a kind of rift. Yeah, which... yeah, absolutely. And the, the Queen, and it reminds us that the Queen was uh, was really the glue that held the kingdom together. You know, yes. she, was, she was loved in Scotland, uh, whereas, you know, perhaps other royals aren't as aren't as uh, respected as much yeah. and, and certainly you know other other parts of uh, parts of britain uh, parts <laughs> of you know boris johnson people like that yeah. aren't aren't as uh, aren't as respected because even loved. even the sort of diehard scottish nationalists i think they the, the impression i get is they had respect for her yeah. as an individual even if they might not appreciate the institution yeah. or what it represents, whatever. They had a, rep uh, a respect for her, and particularly in Balmoral, of course, where the people knew her. Yeah. You know, they'd see her around the town. They'd see her in the shops and yeah, that kind she, of thing. Yeah, she, uh, she loved Balmoral and loved Scotland as well. In fact, I, I heard a funny anecdote about, uh, so she was out uh, walking in the hills near, near Bal Balmoral with her uh, assistant or, you know, uh, whatever he's called. Yeah. And um, uh, they, they came across a couple of American tourists and got chatting to them and the American tourists were like, have you ever, I heard the Queen lives around here, have you ever met, met her? And uh, the Queen said, well, I've, I've never met her technically. Uh, but, but, my, but this guy has. Yes, yeah. this, and uh, so the, her assistant says, yeah, I've met, I met the Queen. Yeah, she's got a cracking sense of humour. And then the American tourists were like, oh my God, oh my God, can we get a photo with you? And gave the camera to the Queen to take a photo of them with the That's person yeah. who'd met the Queen. <laughs> Did she tell them before they left? That uh, well, I th she didn't, I heard. No, and then the, but the, the other had, person did. She had a photo uh, taken, uh, she had her photo taken with them. So obviously when they went back, their friends okay. would say, that's the actual Queen. Look at the stamp. See how it's got the same... How could you not know? Yeah. I mean, her face yeah. is that she's the most it's photographed the woman in the world. Yeah. Yeah. It's on the money that you spend. I guess when she's... When Americans, right. Yeah. When she's got the headscarf on and stuff. Maybe. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. Let's cut them some slack there. Telegraph now. Uh, delays to book publications uh, for, for Harry. Uh, now, Leo, this is interesting, isn't it? Because, of course, we've all been talking about this memoir, what it would contain. Yeah. Um, but now it's going to be delayed because it's going... I suppose it's going to be... Uh, it's distasteful, is that it? Yeah, that's, I should imagine that's why. So Prince Harry's memoir is, has been delayed until next year. It was going to be uh, published in time for uh, your Christmas stockings this year. But sadly, you're going to have to find something else 
to stick I in know. there. Uh, but it's, it's long cast a shadow over the royal family amid fears it'll be used to settle scores. You know, obviously there's been a long-standing feud between him and Meghan and the, and the royal family. They've yep. called him racist and all this sort of stuff. So yeah, he's, he's, doing, he's doing the right thing, waiting a bit before he trashes the has, royal family and the has, Queen. Hasn't this been teased as a kind of tell-all? Yeah. Right, and that implies, doesn't it, that it's going to be pretty damning. Yeah. Is he going to take this opportunity, maybe, if you're going to delay publication, to rewrite some of the more incendiary passages? Is that, or is that just me being naive? Yeah, well, if that video is anything to go by, and I don't know when that was filmed, it's going to be incredibly toxic. Mm. So, yeah, obviously right. delaying it is, is, is at least, it's better than releasing it now, obviously, but you do wonder, yeah, will he rewrite passages? I mean, I said probably not, you, you, you imagine not yet. The other thing to note, by the way, is that the... Um, the, uh, the the Spotify podcast that the, that uh, Megan does is had is put on hold for six weeks, so we'll we'll all miss that. She's only done like one. I think episode. she did. Has she did one or two? Yeah, was, she uh, did one with Serena Williams. Yeah, where yeah. she spoke for most of it. She spoke just about herself for all of it. So okay, yeah. well, I don't think it's any great shame that but that think, podcast isn't on. They're incentive. They're incentivized to to make it as incendiary and as, as toxic as possible because they're clinging on to it, the, the vestiges now, of celebrity. You don't think it's possible that even now, you know, that this this idea of him reconciling with his brother might actually, in the wake of something uh, of the death of the Queen, he might th he might rethink. It might give him some perspective and think, well, maybe having a go at this family. He'll rethink, but then he'll think, I need some money. Yeah. Right. I, I, there is still hope for Harry. I think there is still good in him. But I, I, I do wonder if he'll ever, ever come back. Because what's notable is that normally when you get older, you, you get a bit of more of a sense of, of the importance of duty versus your own selfish whims. Yeah. Whereas Harry's sort of gone the other way because he was in the military. He did have mm. a sense of duty. Yeah. And unfortunately, he's gone the other way. So I, I worry. Interesting. Okay, so uh, now we're going to turn away momentarily uh, from the late Queen and we're going to look at the Times, uh, which reports on this update on the Ukrainian offensive. Nick, a lot has happened over the past few days and I think a lot of people have missed uh, some key developments here. Yeah, we've missed it because, of course, but this is an important story we should cover. And it is, of course, good news in a sense. It's, it's Ukraine pushed, liberates 150,000 from Russian occupation. So this was this counterattack we talked about the other day, a historic counterattack. People are saying this will be studied because it was such a great counteroffensive move. And this has now um, freed up 150,000 Ukrainians from Russian occupation. Yeah. And, I mean, that's that's the main point. And it's, it's, it's what we said the other day, really, that... that uh, a smaller army can 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 win if they're more motivated. Yeah, but they're, they're a bigger oh. army. Oh, you're saying actually a bigger army as well. Oh, you, Ukraine is a is a bigger army than in terms of manpower. But it is but it isn't just to do with that, is it, Leo? I mean, it is to do with morale. Yeah. And you know, and do the Russian troops really want to be fighting this war in the way that you, the Ukrainian troops they've got a lot. No, no, they've got a lot more motivation. Yeah, obviously, Ukrainian troops are fighting. They're fighting for their land. They're fighting for their women and their children. Whereas Russia are fighting. They don't know why. They've been told yeah. they didn't even know they were going into war. Yeah. And, you know, they've been, they've been, and a lot of them are either from the Wagner group, they're mercenaries, or they're, uh, I mean, they're recruiting from prisons because, mm -hmm. you know, Putin doesn't want to have mass mobilization. He doesn't want to draft civilians uh, in, into, his, into his army. Uh, so they're struggling. They're struggling for, for bodies. They've lost, uh, they've lost you know, 50,000 troops already. Uh, so he's struggling uh, to, to actually fill, fill the roles. And, and, and Ukraine is saying, Russians use you as cannon fodder, your life doesn't mean anything for them, you don't need this war, surrender to Ukraine. And it must be quite hard to resist that, if you, for all the reasons you've mentioned, if you yeah. are a Russian soldier. Yeah. And a lot of this has come about because of the, uh, from the West, weapons that have come from the West and support that's come from the West. Yeah. And now, of course, they're calling for more support. I mean, this, could this be the, the turning point? Could this be the end of the war? Is it, you know, and what will happen to Putin now? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, well, there's a, apparently a, a, a possible assassination attempt on Putin uh, today with a, a possible bomb uh, aimed at his limo. Um, right. So I coming mean, from inside Russia, inside Russia, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, I bet when there, there have been other attacks, there have been other assassinations in, in well, Russia. Also you've, got, you've got some generals now speaking out against his strategy. And in St. Mm. Petersburg, politicians were speaking out, yeah. which you know previously would never be done because you're going straight to the gulag. Yes. Uh, but now they're they're openly doing it. He's being openly criticised uh, on on uh, te on television as well, which yes. you know considering considering he controls the media. So we're at this at a critical point where it can either escalate wildly with tactical nuclear weapons used in Ukraine, uh, or uh, Putin can, can try and roll back and yeah. salvage something That's interesting, it. isn't it, this question of nuclear weapons, because a lot of people have been talking about the fear that, that he's going to be like a cornered rat, yeah. and he's going to lash out and he could do something crazy. Mm. But then other people have sort of countered that by suggesting that he's so sort of personality and ego-driven that the idea of using nuclear weapons, he will know that will be the end of him. Yeah. If he does that, that will be the end of him. But is he that kind of guy, Nick, that it's just... All or nothing. I personally think we always have to be very wary of, of psychoanalyzing Putin. I don't yeah. think people, when people say, oh, he's mad or he's a, a psycho, I don't think he's mad. I think he's been very calculating. He has all these sanctions set up. He has all this strangling of the you know, gas pipeline and all this. Russia, as I've said it before, but they, they plan out wars. This one doesn't seem to have been as well planned as some, but they oh, plan, really? they plan oh, out way... What, what way, plan was this? Well, yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> they, but they, they come up with, they, 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 apparently they war game things war with the US, not with Ukraine, like yeah. 50 years in advance. And I always say they'll look at, you know, they'll look at assassinations, they'll look at economic sanctions, they'll look at every possible kinetic war and everything else. This, yeah, obviously something's gone wrong here, but I always just think it, you, the idea that Putin's mad or a psycho is... It, yeah, it's difficult. I mean, it, it also, it's, t it's too easy an explanation, yeah. isn't it, when you start doing that? And, and also, we don't know. When it comes to nuclear weapons, it's obviously so unprecedented. Who knows what, what anyone would do? But I think anybody who's in power for, for that length of time, uh, they become victims of their own hubris and mm. ego. And, uh, you know, it seems to be like... But at, at the same time, even though Ukraine has, has reclaimed all this territory, yeah. it's now left troops uh, in that territory quite exposed to, yes. to any Russian counter counterattacks and uh, in fact today uh, Russia um, bombed the Karachunovskaya uh, dam uh, which then flooded the Inhulets river which means uh, you know bridges and pontoons have been taken away so that's going to make it much more difficult for Ukraine to supply the troops that have gone into that territory right okay well sticking with tomorrow's times uh, it looks like we've got some positive inflation news for once this is Strange, Leo. Very mildly positive. Okay, so, uh, I'll take that. <laughs> yeah. Given the current climate, let's take that. So economists were expecting uh, expecting inflation to rise from 10.1% in July uh, to 10.2%. Okay. Um, but it fell to 9.9% last month. But look, month. that sounds paltry. Yeah. But, but, but actually, in the grand scheme of things, that is significant. And it's moving in the right direction, so that's... It's, I mean, it's a tiny, tiny little tinker. And also the retail price index, which is the one that affects you, because that's the one that relates to what you can actually buy with your money, yes. was unchanged at 12.3%. And obviously, if you factor in housing and things like that, you know, we're yeah. talking, we're talking off, off, the, off, the, off the scale. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess it, it's, it's not... It's not getting worse. Yeah. That's, what that's about good. what about Nick? The the British government's uh, you know measures that they're putting into place and the, the the hope that this can put a ceiling on inflation. They're freezing electricity bills at two thousand five hundred pound from October, four hundred pound rebate for households. Is it going to make a difference? I'm not enough of an economic expert to know if that price gap is actually going to make a difference. And do, does anyone really know these things when it comes to the economy? No one really predicted, well, hardly anyone predicted 2008. Can mm. you really say that price cap will definitely, even, even if it does change, can you really prove that was the cause? Yeah. 
I, I struggle. E- economists it. never never say. Well, they certainly they, admit that they're not good at predicting. They well, never well, agree. <laughs> they you, never you agree. In economists, you get ten different predictions. Yeah. You know, I wish climate change scientists would admit that they're the same. I hate to be too humble, but when Andrew Bailey, head of the Bank of England, says he's helpless against inflation, I do wonder if I can solve it. But uh, it, it, is, it is funny that um, this is actually is good news, as you said, but then it, we're celebrating that it's falling to 9.9%, and I'm no expert. I, still sounds quite it, high, it, 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 to the layman. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's still much higher than we would want it to be. I'll yeah. take that. Anyway, Thursday's Financial Times now. The EU have spoken out on rising prices, Nick. Yeah, EU targets 140 billion euro from windfall taxes on energy companies. So they're planning to raise 140 billion in euros uh, from energy companies' profits to soften the blow. Mm. Now, this is this is sort of a question really about about the nature of free markets, I think, because, because their argument is that uh, you shouldn't be able to profit like this from war. So you could say, well, what they're doing here is kind of socialist windfall tax and, you know, and, it's, and, it's, and it's over-regulating. But the thing is, war in itself, I suppose, is the state mm. messing with the economy anyway by getting us into wars. So it kind of is an attempt to balance that. Mm. And, and the only thing is I don't trust the EU to, uh, to, to do it properly because I just tend to not trust them. But um, it... it and, and not everyone agrees, of course. They've got to be approved by all the member states. Yeah, well, that's going to be their problem, isn't that's it? That's always the problem in the EU. I mean, if it works, it's supposed, it's supposed to be the benefit of being a member of the EU, obviously. Yeah. But Norway is already sceptical. Their prime minister is, is saying that... That's because no, they're making so much money. They're <laughs> yeah. making so much money off the... I yeah, mean, we should, we should really have just have a windfall tax on Norway. Yeah. <laughs> and they should really offer. Yeah. If they've got any decency left, those, it, those Viking... I don't think... Vikings, aren't they? Oh, no, they are. I think Norway. they are, yeah. yeah. They are. I mean, you, could, right. I mean, you could say that Germany's arrogance sort of got them in this position in the first place, where the arrogance regarding their own gas, you know, yeah. self-sufficiency. Uh, we, can, we can rely on Putin. He'll always be a good guy to us. Right. I mean, Trump saw past that and they, they laughed at him. It was, it was ridiculous. Yeah. But yeah, normally, normally I agree with you about free markets. Let them operate. It's, it's in, incredibly important. The, the increase in prices is a valuable signal and it means other people will rush to produce more energy. But unfortunately, the energy market doesn't really work like that. It takes, you know, 28 years for, for new gas fields to come online. Uh, so, you know, while everybody else is struggling, and these energy companies are reaping the benefits. And uh, when, when prices surge, uh, the, the price of generating electricity from a, a wind farm or something yeah, like that yeah. doesn't, doesn't surge. So they're getting this incredible uh, extra bonanza of money, uh, which, you know, really isn't that fair. So, yeah, I hate to sound like Jeremy Corbyn, but yeah, a tax. <laughs> I've always thought that you had a lot in common <laughs> with Jeremy Corbyn. We're going to move on to The Guardian now. And The Guardian has a story about the importance of, uh, well, diversity. What's this? This is very interesting. So Boris Johnson's former race advisor says trust would not be PM without diversity scheme, which sounds on the face of it like an insult to me, saying you only got it because of diversity. Well, yeah, but I mean, he, she's going to be upset by this, isn't you she? You would think. That sounds to me, I thought it was an insult, and I read on, and actually he's praising the diversity scheme, saying that, oh, look, it's good because it gave people like Liz Truss a chance. So this was, Isn't it a backhanded compliment, well, it, though? I mean, would, they should at least well, wait until, see how she does I'm before not, saying it's good. I'm not sure he means it like that. It, it, this is Samuel uh, Kazu and he was he said this, this stems from David Cameron's A-list thing that he got yes. with now this is Cameron's idea in 2005 of deliberately uh, you know advocating diversity making sure the candidates were suitably suitably diverse they came up with this list about 100 150 people and the majority were women and so my problem with this is always of course that I believe in merit and yes. I believe in the sort of colorblind job promotion, except in the case of actors where you, sort of, you have to be acting a role, which is why I disagreed with some of the things about Lord of the Rings. But in general, I thought that we did, as let's say, either as conservatives or as liberals, 
believe in the idea of merit and the individual. And what I believe has happened in general, and when people like Cameron are doing this as an alleged conservative, is that we've bought into sort of woke left identity politics premises. And we've said, okay, it's all right, we'll talk about conservative things, but we'll have, it's the, it has to be these people doing it. We've actually, identity politics has kind of come in under the table. We, we've accepted tacitly a lot of it without really- I think definitely a lot of people on the right have accepted it more than they acknowledge. Yeah. And, but you, I suppose you can see why there might be some need for quotas and quota systems in a society which has, you know, major ingrained sexism, racism, etc. But I suppose, Nick, you would suggest that we're not at that point anymore. Well, 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 well there's, there's that question. And that, there, of course, the, 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 the racial disparity report said that we weren't in that so-called controversial report. But, and, the, and the one about systemic racism yeah, and yeah. all that. But the, the problem with it is, does it even work? Because, of course, it creates resentment. It creates suspicion that, oh, they only got it because of this, which is what this person's saying here. <laughs> yeah, Our yeah. prime minister now is a diversity hire, is his essential mm. claim, which is absolutely insane. Yeah, so, Leah, wouldn't she be upset about this? I mean, well, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, but I can see why they did it. I can see the, the power in doing it because they've outflanked Labour. Yeah, you know, Labour who rely on this identitarian, uh, you know, woke idea that, oh, if you're, if you're an ethnic minority or if you're a woman or if you're some sort of, you know, oppressed group, then vote for us because we're, we're the woke left, so we'll look after you. And actually, yeah, all the other all leaders have been uh, 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 white men. And uh, yeah, so they've, they've outflanked them. But also, it gives people on the right the power to, uh, to conduct policies yes. that they wouldn't get away with if they were white men. Do you think yeah. Priti Patel would get away with the Rwanda plan if she uh, looked like Nick? But can, can I ask you about that diversity? Uh, because I've seen a lot of uh, comments from left-wing activists recently and commentators talking about how racist the Tory party is mm. and how they basically disregard the fact that they promoted more uh, uh, ethnic minority people to cabinet positions yeah. and that there are so many ethnic minority people in the cabinet. And they have a real blind spot with this. You had um, uh, Dr. Shola Moshog Bamimu saying that uh, Rishi Sunak lost because he wasn't white. Yeah. And, but, and, and they, Kemi they, not represented yeah. white supremacy. Right, so yeah. how can this be that, that they have such, they just can't accept and say, actually, okay, given the evidence, yeah. the Tory party is no longer racist and maybe we better turn our attention to Labour. Yeah, but uh, I mean, people like Dr. Shola could see racism in anything. They just see everything through these, uh, they filter it through a prism of seeing racism in, in absolutely everything. Yeah. A glass of water. Can I just add one thing? Yes. That, that, um, yes, you're right. It, it is tactically smart by Cameron and the Tories because it allows things like Liz Truss to point out that Starmer is from North London and, and a white man whereas the Tories are onto their third female Prime Minister. But presumably there is a line where it becomes a Pyrrhic victory where you just become completely left-wing to own the left. So there must be a line. But I think, I think I mean, people on the right, you know, we, we love Suella Braverman, we love uh, Kemi Badenoch, not because they're, you know, diverse. I mean, you barely, on the right you barely even notice Right. Well, that has to be that, pointed out to that's you. That's the old dream of colour blindness, and, right? But yeah, but we love their policies. That's now, true as well. We are going to move on now to Thursday's yeah. Daily Mail. Uh, this is a more about inclusivity efforts relating to sports this time, Leah. Yes, yeah, so uh, runners planning to take part in next year's London Marathon will be offered an option to identify themselves as non-binary uh, for the first time. Uh, so it's as part of work to make the, the event truly inclusive. I mean, it already was inclusive. They could have just said what gender they really are. But now they can pretend they're a made-up gender. Can you, can you explain this to me? Because I thought that sports were segregated according to biological sex because men have an innate advantage. Yeah. Uh, non-binary isn't a biological thing. It's an identity. Yeah. So do we have categories now for goths, for punks, for Marxists? Mm. What, what are we going to do? People who dress in diving suits. 
Well, yeah, that, run the marathon. It, it is hard to, to run a good marathon when you don't exist because, like you say, non-binary is not, not really a thing. But, um, and, and also, yes, as, as, as my previous point, it's a woke premise kind of getting its way in there into, mm. into everything, into the marathon now. That, you know, I suppose there's no harm in it, but on the other hand, should we really be entertaining these kind of yeah, identitarian well, they said, issues? They said they're trying to make it more inclusive, but isn't the marathon already incredibly inclusive? You can basically Anybody dress can. up as a rhino and just sort of <laughs> yeah. walk along for about Dressing up as a rhino days. is a great idea because it's a good excuse why you're not very good, you know, because you're... <laughs> yeah. Big and rhino suit. If that was anything, it takes you two weeks to complete. It's about as inclusive yeah. as it gets. But they, they might be doing it to uh, try and get away from uh, people identifying as a gender that they're not to get that uh, advantage. Oh, to ruin the women's sports. Yeah, as we've seen yeah. in oh, know, uh, women's yeah. weightlifting, you get some uh, lumpy bloke who's number 562 in the world, then, you know, smashing world records. Yep, could be that. Okay, well, let's move on to the mirror now. And the people have spoken, but the government have said no, Nick. Yeah, this is a... Uh, this is a number 10 issues update on calls for an annual Queen Bank holiday. There's 120,000 back petition. Yes, so they have turned it down, as you say. So the idea is, could we have, of course, a bank holiday for the, to commemorate the Queen every year, which is good in some ways because it does pay respect to the Queen. Then again, of course, it costs around 800 billion, uh, million sorry, per bank holiday is the estimate of how much it costs. But Nick, is it not the case that we are behind other European countries? Well, yeah, I was about to come to that because, crucially, France has 11... Spain has 14, but we have eight. But I think you don't want to be at the level of France, is what I would say. <laughs> or Spain. We yeah. want to be more productive. Than, we want to be less communist than France, more productive than Spain, no offence. And more productive than most people. That's what we want to do. We want to have, we want to have about... I think I, eight's about right. I think we should aim higher than more productive than Spain. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah but what, baseline, that is. What do you think, Leo, about this? Because, I mean, in a sense, our longest living monarch... Yeah. You know, it makes sense to have some kind of permanent commemoration. Yeah, yeah. Some people would say that, and obviously, everybody likes a likes a day off. Um, I, I mean, we could compromise and just throw everyone out of centre parks once a year. <laughs> for, for me and people, perhaps like us, I mean, I, bank holidays haven't actually meant anything to me for ages. It just means I get to the shop and it's already shut. Yeah, that's all. Because yeah. we we work anyway. I've never when, noticed a bank holiday. I don't know what they are really. When you're self-employed, it's just it makes you feel bitter. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's move on to Thursday's mail now, and these are uh, this is relating to the. The Queen's military moments. That's right. So the royal family has celebrated the Queen's long-lasting and deeply personal relationship with the armed forces in a post on social media. Uh, this is on Instagram. Uh, the photos celebrate how, how the late monarch uh, served in uniform in the Auxiliary uh, Territorial Service to, during the Second World War. And uh, she obviously had a, an ongoing commitment to the armed forces mm. and was, was much loved by them. And uh, yeah, like I said earl earlier, she's, she's one of the last links to, the, to that wartime generation yep. who fought and suffered and then, then went through, you know, rationing and other deprivations after the after the war had finished. And you know, now we've we've grown up, you know, basically spoilt brats. Yeah. Generations since. So, I mean, the Queen Nick is uh, of, of particular significance for those who are in the armed forces. Absolutely. I've listened to them today. Today, people from the armed forces, and they refer to her as the boss, because mm. yeah. of course she is their boss. And it is this it is this sense of duty that we're in danger of losing. They have a, they actually are prepared to die for the queen, mm. queen and country, of course. And the queen herself has a duty, you know, and she's and she believes she's chosen by God, and, and, and that's the hierarchy. So yeah, we are in danger of, of losing it. As I said, the only strange thing is that Harry, Prince Harry was in the armed forces, yeah. and, then, and then has, has lost that sense of duty. And served with distinction. I mean, yeah. and uh, so did, so did uh, Prince Andrew. Yes, oh. but for the most part, yeah, they, obviously the armed forces love the queen. Mm. Let's move on now to the Daily Mail. Uh, this is about... 
This is an article about King George VI's influence on the Queen. Very interesting article, this. A life shaped by her beloved papa. How the Queen was inspired by her father, George VI, who always made time for his little Lilibet. So if you've seen the King's speech or if you've seen Darkest Hour, they both have excellent portrayals of George VI, who, of course, didn't think he was going to be king. His, his brother, uh, Edward uh, VIII, was going to was going to be a king, and then he went off with Wallace Simpson. He wanted to marry Wallace Simpson yeah. from America, and this was obviously a scandal. So he, he decided to abdicate. It was uh, after a year. It was really short. Yeah, short yeah, yeah. Very short. He wasn't even crowned, was he? Was he? Was he it, it, there wasn't a coronation. Was right. it? It, was, it was before that. It was and, that, that quick. It was that quick. And um, and it, so what's fascinating is it then fell to George VI, who didn't think he was going to do it. And similarly, the Queen in turn didn't think she would have to. No one thought she would because she wouldn't be. You know, it was, but she wasn't she prepared? To the because throne. she was thirty-nine to the throne, she yeah. was always prepared. There was always one eye on her, eventually potentially becoming the monarch. Yeah, mm. there, there's that that argument, but but. You know, it, it was certainly much sooner than expected. It's a very interesting story. They were in Kenya. I'm sure people know they're in Kenya. They had to do duty because yeah, yeah. Uh, her father was too ill. Then she suddenly finds out. So it's a fascinating story. And I like the idea. You know, famously, George VI wasn't sure about it at first. But then he proved to be heroic. He was in the palace when it was being bombed by yes. the Germans. He forged a great relationship with Churchill when they initially didn't get on. And what I like about it is it's people who, you know, that you always hear that thing about anyone who wants to be president probably shouldn't do it. This is almost people who reluctantly did it, almost like the archetype of the hero's journey. They're like, I'm not sure I want this. And that's what makes them perfect well, for it. I was talking to David Stark about this on, on the show on Sunday, and he was saying that actually the abdication was a really good thing for the royal family. Because ultimately <laughs> you ended up with this perfect, this couple, George and Elizabeth, who, who, who really really fulfilled the role in a really impressive way and were able to modernise the royal family in, in, the, in, the, in a way that made it compatible uh, with a democratic society. And, uh, I mean, talking of who's next in line, I believe, is Prince Andrew next in line after uh, Charles? Yeah, they're even talking about how that could be a potential thing. But, yeah. look, I mean, come, come on. And King Andrew, I mean, how would that go around, uh, around the world, our reputation? That, you know, there's even some people talking about we should change the rules so that Anne... No, we can't change the rules. No, <laughs> I think King Andrew, I, I respect him. I think, honestly, he, uh, he was born a prince and he lived the life of a prince, and I respect that. Right. OK, well, look, let's move on uh, now. And this one is about um, uh, the, the important women in the Queen's life, Leo. This is in the Daily Mail. Yes, so uh, the Queen's circle of trust, uh, from her beloved sister to her ladies-in-waiting, uh, the monarch relied on a select number of women throughout her life. Uh, so it's quite a tight circle of friends upon which she could trust and rely. And even, even up until uh, the, the pandemic, the COVID-19 pan pandemic, she had a reduced selection of around 20 staff uh, attending to her, you know, known yeah. as, as uh, HMS bubble. Um, so obviously because, because of COVID restrictions, you yes. have the full um, pomp and ceremony. And I think um, Charles is talking, or previously he's spoken of um, streamlining the, uh, the the sort of the royal family and the working royals and also the the people. Well, what do you well, gotta, and he's already fired people, I believe. You've got to wonder what a circle of trust with the queen means. What it means to be the friend of the queen, yeah. not just you. Know, because can you ever get over that recognition of who you're talking to? This is the queen. You know, it's not it's not like yeah. a mate. But she, like, she does seem she seemed to be an incredibly down to earth person, and she she's a good judge of character. You know, she kept Paul Burrell at arm's length, and uh, she so. She she, I think she chose the right people around her. They advised her well and, uh, and certainly brought out the best in her. Nick, what, what I think? also took from this was the, the difficulty in being the sister of the Queen. You know, if you're, if you're Margaret, 
you know, she would sometimes mock her a little bit in public and things, because it must be really tough to be the sister of the Queen. But then again, I was thinking, and my favourite of this circle was, was Princess Anne once again, because she has this belief in the old ways. She doesn't like doing things in new ways. She believes in tradition, incredibly hardworking. 387 official events in 2001, mm. Princess Anne attended. That is, I don't know how you even physically manage that. You've got to pack them in several a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, I said the other night, she was, there was even the attempted kidnapping of her in 1974. A guy with a gun comes and says, get out of the car. She says, not bloody likely. I mean, how <laughs> cool is that? So I, Princess Anne is my favourite. Yeah. Fair enough. We're going to move on to the Daily Mail now. And uh, the late Queen Elizabeth II seemed to be at her element in the races. Leo. Yes, so uh, they've got uh, an amazing, I mean, obviously her, her love of horses and racing is well documented, uh, but they've got footage from 1991 uh, showing just how invested she was in it and enjoyed uh, the animals and, and horse racing her, her I, itself. I actually think we have that clip, so amazing. maybe we could watch that. Can we do that? Making significant progress and they have to protect a was at Ascot. Me as well. Really? Yeah. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, near the parade ring. Yeah. You, yeah. you missed a great bit at the end there. She says, she says what, 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 do I, what do I get? And the guy goes, 16. She goes, 16, what, 16 pounds? And she, she's really happy. She's yeah. won 16 Well, it's pounds. about when... I mean, she doesn't need the money, yeah. right? She doesn't need the money, but... Also, it's 1991. That was before that, inflation. That, yeah, that was, was a lot. It was like, worth a lot. Buy a house. Yeah. But um, what I also like, just liked about that clip, I've never even seen the Queen run. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. She jumped out of that helicopter, but I've never actually seen her <laughs> run. So even that was fun to see. There's, there is something quite charming about it, isn't it? Because you, don't, you see her as an icon rather than a human being. So when you get these sort of moments that you catch some element of humanity, you can imagine yourself doing that. Mm. I mean, yeah. not for me for horse racing, but, you know, something equivalent, yeah. badminton or something. Why, why were you at Ascot? I was at Ascot because some friends of mine were going and they... I, it's not something I would naturally do. I'm not interested in that kind of thing. Yeah. And changed. I changed. <laughs> no, I went along but to be sociable, really. Right, yeah, I actually yeah. did quite enjoy it. I will, <laughs> I will confess, although I didn't win. Right. So that was a bit upsetting. Didn't yeah. get your 16 quid. No, I didn't get my 16 quid. So I'm not as good as the Queen at, at betting. Right. I can't pick the winner. And yeah. So there's no point. We're going to go on to, to Thursday's Telegraph. Uh, it looks like the Queen could be joining the list of monarchs with their own universities. This is interesting. Yeah, Britain's bright young things could soon be studying at Queen Elizabeth II University. And, this, and Milton Keynes would be their favourite. And this comes from a think tank who's saying we should have a new university named after uh, Queen Elizabeth II. And they're saying that um, the UK needs 350,000 extra full-time university places. Mm. But I'm thinking, do we really? I mean, so my, my thing is here. I would love to, uh, I think it's great, the idea of having a university named after the Queen, honour yeah. the Queen, why not? But it does say here, when the Queen ascended the throne in 1952, there were only 18 universities in the UK and 85,000 full-time students. Why not honour her by going back to that? That yeah. was about all we needed because, let's face it, universities have become largely, not completely pointless, yeah. but many of the courses have become pointless. They become, and there's no prestige or cachet in having a university course anymore, and, and the price of education has gone up, has vastly outpaced inflation as well. Well, well, might it not be better to rename a university after her? Would that yeah. be a way to do it? Yeah, Something good, like that? a good one. Well, there's not many. I mean, <laughs> let's be honest. There's, there's Oxford and Cambridge, and they've gone even gone well, haven't they? They've Especially gone. They're, the, they're among the worst, I would have mm. to say. So now, maybe this isn't the best way to commemorate her. Yeah. To be honest. No. I anyway, think, yeah, maybe a military academy. Something like that. Yeah. 
And certainly, is there going to be an issue about it being in Milton Keynes? You know, because it's, it's not a kind of historical town. That's nice yeah, it's, new, it's a new town. Yeah, OK, well, anyway, we're going to finish now. This is a story with the Daily Mail uh, and a personal touch to the late Queen's coffin. Yeah, so the Queen's coffin was adorned with lavender and rosemary from the gardens of Windsor and pine from our Scottish home of Balmoral. So, the, you know, they've pay, taken, uh, taken flowers from all across, uh, all across the United Kingdom. Uh, they've got sweet peas, dahlias, flocks, never heard of that, it's got pH. Um, white heather and pine fir uh, from the Aberdeenshire estate as well. Um, and that's, that's partly harking back to the Duke of Edinburgh's uh, coffin. Um, so sweet peas were uh, among our fl favourite flowers and were also in the wreath laid on his coffin as well. Yeah, I like the kind of the, the detail of this. Flowers are sort of not my expertise, but the Queen apparently had a great eye for detail. I was listening to the military people today saying that, saying that. I can well believe it. She was very intelligent. And also, I, I just like the tradition of this. My mum my recently, in the, she's president of her local WI, Mm. Women's Institute, of course, and she was uh, entering the traditional competitions, and one of them was arranging a, a, a group of herbs to their best advantage. But I just love these really old-fashioned kind of things. That like almost that. sounds quite militaristic. Yeah. <laughs> you, want to, you want to take the high ground with your sage. And yeah. <laughs> There's something about all of this and the way that it's played out is that it reminds us that we are actually very good at pageantry yeah. and theatre when it comes to this kind of thing. And this was one of the ways that the royal family had to, de had to develop. And again, I was talking to Starkey about this at the, at the weekend, and he made this really interesting point that when they did um, Queen Victoria's uh, uh, coronation, there were no rehearsals. So people, people were falling down, they got the wrong size uh, ring for her finger, so they were trying to squeeze it on, and she said oh it was incredibly God. painful. The guy who read the, from the book upside down because he was blind and he'd forgotten <sighs> his glasses. And this was all because it didn't matter because it was behind closed doors. Yeah, yeah. But of course, with the new modernised monarchy, yeah. they're yeah. servants to the demos, so you have to open up the gates, we all have to see it, and of course the public, we know what a show looks like. Yeah. And so this, these kind of things would have been rehearsed continually, yeah, you know? And, uh, if you watch that 2006 movie, I don't know if it's definitely true or not, but it's in the film where the Queen Mother is a bit put out because they, want, they need to uh, do Diana's funeral, and they say we're going to base it on the rehearsal for your funeral. <laughs> and so she's not too pleased about it, but they have yes. to rehearse something. Yeah. They do, but I mean, it's, it's one of the, I think it's one of the appeals, one of the enduring appeals of the royal family. So there are all these conversations about, you know, how they need to modernise, they need to be no, no. up to date. Yeah. But I think that, not just the tourists, but I think people here, what they like about it is that this is archaic. Yeah. It's anachronistic. It's a fun anachronism, right? But they, but they brought it into the, I mean, the, the Queen came through with the, basically with the in, invention of television. And, yeah. you know, she was the first televised Queen. Yeah, so people like, went out so to buy TV sets just for this. Specifically to, to, to watch the, yeah. the coronation. And, uh, and yeah, like, so she's, she's been very aware of the image that she presents, yes. uh, not just to, to politicians and, and to, the, to Parliament, but, you know, to the world and, and to the public. And that sounds cynical, but it's not really. And it's a hard thing to do. I mean, yeah. if you look at, um, you know, other royals, they, they, don't all, they don't all manage it. Yeah. Right, we're going to squeeze in one more story, if we can, uh, from The Telegraph. This is a phrase we've heard numerous times over the last few days, Nick. And what is, what is that phrase exactly? <laughs> Mother figure to the wall. Oh, oh, the Nancy Pelosi one. Yeah, yes. yeah Nancy Pelosi has claimed that um, the Queen was a, a mother figure to the world, which was actually nice to hear because the, the New York Times recently put out that, uh, that terrible article, didn't they? Uh, like an hour after the Queen's death, going on about colonialism. So it's nice to see the lefties in America actually respecting the Queen and getting it right. Well, well but, I mean, some of the, like you say, some of the channels and some of the commentary over there has been a bit 
sniffy, yeah. shall we say. So you're right. So maybe, but it is good that the elected representatives are sort of saying the, something that's a bit more respectful. What do you think, Leo? Yeah, and I think, I mean, America recognises that, you know, the Queen and the Royal Family and, and Britain is loved in America. Yeah. So even though you're, you're going to get, you know, fringe woke lunatics like the, you know, professors at Carnegie Mellon saying horrific, genuinely just horrible things yeah. about the Queen, uh, genuinely disgusting things. Um, you know, Britain and America... We've got a special place in the world together. Yeah, I mean, that is interesting. I mean, you say it is just those crazy academics and activists. But like Nick said, CNN did a, some sort of pretty disrespectful yeah. thing and trying to link her directly with colonialism and this sort of stuff. Actually, quite historically illiterate yeah. kind of yeah. stuff. So maybe, maybe Americans sometimes have to, you know... Rain it in a bit. Rain it in. Anyway, that's all we've got time. Thanks very much to Leo and Nick. And I'm going to be back tomorrow at Headliners at 11pm. I'll see you there.